Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I've got in the beach shack, Jalen Rucker. Now he's a young guy coming through in athletics. He started off playing football, or we call it soccer out here in Australia, and also basketball. But his talents led him to the athletic track. He started off doing a little bit of long jump, then got into the pole vault, but now he is back doing exceptional things in the long jump event. Now, he's putting basically his whole efforts into being an Olympian. He's training very hard to get to the next Olympics and he needs to get over to Europe to get more experience. And he tells us about how he is going to do that and achieve his goals. Also talks about how much his mother has been influenced and a massive help to him during his life to get to this point. Now let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Jalen. This week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure to have in Jalen Rucker, who I've known for a long time. He's doing very well in athletics. He's come through from a young kid, but uh, how are you, Jalen? Yeah, good, thanks, Oppo. How you going? Good, mate. Now, let's go right back growing up uh, in Brisbane. What was that like? Uh, well, I mean, obviously I started out, I grew I had my first six years here in Sydney, um, born in Newcastle. So yeah, we moved, moved to Brisbane when I was, yeah, about six, started off grade one, um, had your average childhood, I guess. Bit different to Sydney though, bit of a smaller city, but it's yeah, good. Yeah, bit different. You would have um, only seen a little bit, I suppose, of Sydney, Newcastle's a little bit um, north of Sydney, so... Yeah, a bit like a country town. Yeah, yeah, real beach vibes, surfer. I've always thought every time I go back there, it's it's like a it's a, obviously a much smaller version of Sydney. I don't, there's not even a city there, is there? It's not a city, but every time I go back there, I just think it's got a real old vibe to it. I don't know why. Yeah, it's all, it might just because all my family, all mum's side of the family, live there, and you know, they're most of them are all on the older side now. But uh, yeah, no, it's just got that vibe to it i like it yeah. though it's good yeah it was always known as the steel city so yeah it was um as the sort of steel steel city steel is it in uh there's a lot of uh a lot of hard workers there a lot of they made a lot of steel oh, gotcha. back in the day so oh, yeah, yeah a, okay i see yeah it's a, it a good uh hard working area but yeah do you, do you when you go back there does that feel like a like home a bit even though and a lot of you as you said your mum's family is still there yeah, it does. It's been a while actually since I've been back. I was quite young the last time I was in Newcastle, um, which is surprising because, you know, I've been in Sydney like three or four times over the last six years and it's so close. But yeah, I've got I've got all mum's side of the family there and a couple cousins there that are around my age as well. So, you know, they make it feel right at home when I'm back there. But yeah, like I said, I've been meaning to make a trip there. It's just a bit hard, a bit busy with all the training and, you know, competitions around Australia and stuff like that. 
Yeah, so growing up in Brisbane, so you were always um, into sports. What what did you start to do when you were younger? Uh, so originally, my main two sports were football. I know people are going to think I'm talking about rugby here or rugby <laughs> league, but talking about soccer. You know, I played that from a very early age. Dad got me got got me into that. Uh, yeah, at about three or four years old. And then, yeah, just I think due to the fact that dad himself was a professional basketball, I was just always naturally, you know, driven towards that. So they were the two start out sports for me. I, honestly, I, I played everything, everything I could, especially going through the schooling systems, like just whenever you could, whether it was inter-house comps or social leagues outside of school, I was playing tennis, touch, AFL. I gave rugby a go. Wasn't, wasn't too good, got smashed. You know, it's when I'm about 20 kilos and you know three three foot five it, it's not ideal <laughs> I, yeah afl i said that tennis what else do i do just yeah pretty much i just tried everything and you know even cricket to a degree but ultimately i think you know having all those sports is you know right now it's it's it's, it's well-rounded myself as an athlete especially in the last like five years i was a very late developer so i'm only now just seeing you know, the benefits of doing all these things years ago. But, um, yeah. So coming through all the sports, you said basketball and, and obviously the football with the soccer, that was the, the main sports you're playing. Yeah. And you did mention your dad was a professional basketballer. So mm-hmm. did you find there was the pressure there that you're expected to be good at basketball? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even now, in, in my age now, um, but yeah, growing up, hundred percent. That's back in the day. NBL was massive as well. It's quite big now, but back then it was huge. So everybody knew who my dad was, and whenever I'd go to a basketball game or any sport, really, you know, that expectation was always there for me to perform. But ultimately, I got to around you know fourteen, fifteen, and I just, I wouldn't say I quit because of that. I had other issues. I had osteoarthritis, lattice, growing pains, and whatnot, and the hard surface just wasn't ideal on my body, and I wasn't getting the same pain playing on grass so eventually I just kind of phased out of playing basketball and um yeah took on took on soccer which yeah led me to pretty much until four or five years ago and that's what I, so 2017 was the first year at the Queensland Lions yeah, 20 I think 2016 2016 yeah yeah 2016 2017 one of the two uh yeah Queensland Lions that was when I kind of made my first first team appearance uh, I was off coming off the bench so I got a couple starts here and there but it was my first youth contract as well so you know I was getting a bit of money to play which is always good especially when you're around you know 19 20 21 but yeah nine yeah 2016 2017 was the first major point in my footballing career I felt like it kind of was taking off a little bit yeah I was very fortunate that Warren Moon I'd actually played against that team but I was playing for another team Southside Eagles in a um Canali Cup it was just like a a, a a local cup that you know lower league teams could play higher league teams and I ended up performing well enough for Warren to want to you know give me a contract at Lions so yeah and at that stage you think look I'm going to make try and make this a career playing uh yeah so you know that was something you want to oh, do it was from like when I was like you know 16 17 when I was starting to take football serious when I was still in school. That was always my goal. I uh, yeah, I truly thought that I was going to take that as far as I could, whether that be the A League or you know try and go overseas and play somewhere over there. 
but uh, that turned out to be a lot harder than I thought it was. Well, I mean, the A-League's got a lot bigger, I suppose, these days than what it has been. And also, but most Australians, the, the main goal, I suppose, is to play in Europe. And, you know, a lot of people yeah. play in the English, the English uh, League. So I think that's... where all the money is. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, a major goal. But, well, so what happened then? Did you realise you, you weren't making it in, in soccer? So you thought, I'm going to go do something else? Or how did the athletics come about? Uh, it's, so it's a bit of a long story, actually. So I I didn't want to stop playing football. Like that was my biggest thing. Even now I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up to date with everything. I've followed EPL and whatnot. But basically what happened in, yeah, it was early 2017. Oh, no, mid-2017, Powerade came to one of our training sessions at Queensland Lions and it was just like a little competition that they had going at the time and I believe that was the same year there was a state of origin so they were doing it in line with that it was a Queensland versus New South Wales thing and they came to our training session set up a bunch of little exercises that we had to do and you get graded out of those exercises and it was based out of speed endurance agility power which you know power was a vertical jump speed was a 40 meter dash uh endurance was the bit uh the beep test and agility was just a little agility thing. And, it, you know, just did it as quick as you could. And all of those were graded out of 250 points, equaling 1,000 total. Basically, whatever the athlete, the athlete did in each of those would go towards an overall total. And I just happened to, you know, do really well. So I got into the final for that. Went to the final, ended up winning the whole thing out of Queensland and New South Wales. And it was held in Brisbane at the Sleeman Sports Complex. And QIS actually... Sorry, I should probably say what QS is. It's Queensland Academy of Sport had like a talent identification scout at the final. Um, And because I won, I think it was their first instinct to approach me and, you know, get me down for some more testing over at the QSAC facilities where they're based. And, yeah, I I did that and kind of I, I was a little bit eh at the time. I originally went to do all the testing for long jump. Ultimately, I then went into pole vault because Tatiana happened to be there, who was happened to be my coach for three years. But yeah, it was I kind of did the two. So I was playing football, and then I got into pole vault. I kind of did the two alongside each other for about six to seven months, and then eventually QAS had told me I need to make a decision whether I want to keep playing football or seriously pursue pole vault because they thought that I could potentially you know do something with that. What um did, did that surprise you that you did so well in that test? Did you expect to do as well as what you did? To be honest with you, that like no, but yes, at the same time, the tests. If we look back at it now, it's it wasn't power aid. It wasn't anything special. It was probably more the QAS testing that I did better in, and like that was probably a better. Uh, what's the word like? better estimation of what my potential could have been the powerade stuff was just a very basic brief thing like they capped it at 250 so like if you ran a certain time you could only get max but if then if somebody ran like for example if i ran four seconds and then somebody ran three uh sorry 420 but i'm capped at 250 i can't do any better because the cap is also 420 so it's like it didn't really make much sense if you did better than the limit you didn't benefit from it. So in that way, I, I expected to do well in the Powerade one, 
in the QAS one, not so much because, you know, there was other people there and they're coming from, you know, different sports and different, you know, um, abilities as well. But uh, look, I'm always going to back myself. <laughs> so the decision had to be made, football or, or pole vault. Yeah. What made you go to pole vault? Oh, honestly, to this day, I don't even know why I did it because I'm that in love with the sport of football. Like it's, yeah, it's crazy to me. But I think it was, it was just, it's, you know, I like to challenge myself and it was a new challenge. Obviously, I'd grown up playing football. I'd done it for so long and yeah, I loved it. But I did also see, because keep in mind, I'm like 20, 21 at this point. So I'm able to understand where I'm at in my footballing career and everything like that. And I just thought there's no better opportunity uh, than the one that was being presented to me by QAS. Like that's Queensland Academy of Sport, like, I worked so hard to try and be a footballer for them during my schooling years and I was never good enough to make it there. And now I've got a chance to uh, benefit from all the facilities and the physio, the treatment, everything, coaching in a different sport. And, yes, I'm new to the sport, but like I said, with the background in multiple different sports, I feel like I can pick up things real quick like that. And I think I did when it came to pole vault. Just, yeah, the next three years are a little bit rough with injury and obviously just learning a new sport in general but yeah well tell us a bit about Tatiana like the people that don't know and she was probably around where I used to, I watched her in the Olympic Games yeah for sure I think she won the pole vault back in Olympic Games one year or got second she was I up think it was there. silver in, in yeah. 2000 in Sydney yeah here in Sydney yeah so yeah, so yeah she's she, an amazing athlete Oh, yeah, amazing athlete, amazing woman. She did so much for me, honestly, and she still does. I'm still very close with her. She's back in Russia now. Oh, sorry, Arminia. Arminia. But, um, yeah, look, she she basically, she, if she ever sees it, she might not like me saying this, but she basically yeah. was like my second mother for those three years. And it was only three years, but it was enough, you know, when you spend every day besides, you know, recovery day, which is Sunday, you get close to 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 the people you're training with and your coach and everybody like that. And yeah, she, she, honestly, she was amazing. She, she's helped me a lot on the track and off the track as well. So if you look back now to where you are today, which we'll talk about shortly, do you think by having her as a coach initially as the pole vault has really shaped you now into doing the long jump? hundred percent. Yeah. And the good thing with pole vault as well is, you know, the, the takeoff is kind of similar to the long jump takeoff. So we were, I was already kind of training, not specifically for long jump, but we had a lot of elements in our training that was similar to the long jump. And, you know, I, I had a few cracks at it, but I wasn't, I wasn't anything special back then, but yeah, for sure. And how, I mean, how fast could you run as well? Cause you still need speed, don't you, to get to yeah. that point where then you, 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 the, the pole vault, you, you, get onto that, put it in and then lift yourself up and jump over? Yeah, so like long jump, it's it's velocity-based. You know, you benefit from being quick. And I was always very quick growing up, but I was quick for a footballer or a basketball player, you know, like that and then track speed are two different things. Like I was very slow coming into athletics when I started. I think I only ran 100 in like 11.4. That was probably my best time. So that's not quite, you know, that that speed isn't going to be getting you anywhere. It's just not fast enough to be one vaulting or long jumping as opposed to now where, you know, I'm running like 
it's 10, I've got my PB down to 10, five, 10, five, five. So it, it, yeah, it, it matters a lot. And I do think the three years that I had with Tatiana definitely shaped me. Cause I, you know, she built me up from a scrawny little, you know, I was 20, but I, like I said, I was a late developer and I was 60, 59.8 kilos when I weighed into my first nutritionist appointment at QAS and 12 months later, or not 12 months, it was more like 10, I'd put on 12 kilos of pure muscle mass. And on top of that, just, you know, training with Tatiana, she was coaching me the correct biomechanics on how to run properly because coming from football, hips were low, running out the back, that's just not how you run as a as a track athlete or a field athlete. Yeah, it's not ideal. So those three years acted as a very good base in building the athlete that I am now, I guess. Now, well, tell me how hard is it pole vault? I mean, I've never attempted it. I, I used to do a lot of running, you know, I was coming through school and a lot of uh, cross-country running and things, yeah. but I always looked at the pole vault and thought there's no way in hell I could lift myself up and over that bar. Oh, look, it's, it's extremely technical. It's probably – I would put it up there with, like, golf. Like, we all, golf is probably one of the most technical sports in the world and I reckon pole vault would be a close close second or third but yeah it, besides the fact that it's hard it's extremely terrifying you can it's dangerous too like you can hurt yourself in so many different ways and unfortunately I did that's what I was saying before like in those three years I had a lot of injuries and that was just due to the fact that I was inexperienced with jumping and using these big ass poles that I was you know finding myself hurt a lot of the time. And what type of injuries do you get from pole vault? Because obviously you're up high and, I mean, I'm scared of heights, so I'd be no good. I'd be up the top and that would, would know yeah. what to do. But Well, I mean, you would ha- you have your standard track injury. So, you know, you get your typical hammy tears. You might get an Achilles every now and then. But obviously with pole vault, if you hit the box wrong and you're not in the right position with the pole, you know, shoulder's gone. You can dislocate that stuff. You can, yeah, just ruptured a whole bunch of different things that I don't even know. I fortunately didn't, but also then you've got the se- like the second half of the jump. So that's at takeoff. But once you're up in the air and you know, if, if, if you're not fully committing to that jump and going to send yourself over the bar, if you're pulling out halfway through, then you've got like four meters below you where you're falling straight to the ground. And that's exactly what I did at a state championship one year. And the number one rule is, you know, don't let go of the pole. You're supposed to hold it and just let it, ride like let the pole ride you down it'll be a rough landing still but yeah don't let go of the pole and that's what I did fell straight into the metal box heel first slapped it probably should have broke my foot to be honest with you it just turned out to be a bad heel bruise but um yeah look I've seen a there's a bunch of different ways you can injure yourself it's it's pretty gruesome well I remember we came out and watched you you're in Sydney Oh, when was it? Probably back 2019. I'm trying to remember when it was. We were out at Homebush. Yep. You were yep. doing the pole vault. I think you were just sort of starting out. And, yeah, that was and my I first think you nationals. Got, um, yeah, I remember you get you got through a round or so and you, we had a group. Your mum was there and your sister. And everyone, we just yeah. this massive cheer went up, you know, when you, uh, you made it's, the jump. I know, and it's funny too because, it's like, looking back on that, I had only just got there. So the qualifying standard was actually my PB for me to get to national. So it was four meters 60 and I'd only jumped that like two weeks before. So I just got in for the opens event, but then it's like, I got there and they're like, okay, starting height is 460. As a pole vault, like <laughs> you don't start at your PB height. So that was just another obstacle that I had to get over. 
you know, I, it was raining as well. I don't know if you remember, but it was it was not good conditions yeah. at all. But yeah, managed to get over the starting height on my first, uh, sorry, on my third attempt, and then gave four seventy five a crack. Had the had it cleared by about that much, but just fell down on the bar, and yeah, that was uh that was the competition over. But like, the thing is, that wasn't even the like that was the qualifying round. So the finals happened two days later. I didn't even make it past that. <laughs> so why did you then go to long jump? I know, and I remember speaking to you a while ago that Tatiana obviously left Australia. So yeah. was that the reason then you thought of going to long jump or, or what was the reason? Uh, well, look, before Tatiana had even decided that she was leaving or what you know whatever happened there, we already were in. Uh, we're already thinking about long jump as a second option for me. Like we started doing bits and pieces here and there, talking to different people at QAS about who I could potentially what what squad I could potentially join. You know, Gary Bourne, who's my coach now. We were talking to him at the time, but you know, I wasn't really doing anything special, so there was no need. There was no reason for them to you know take me on board. But yeah, the I would say the sole reason was just because Tatiana left and there really wasn't any pole vault coaches in Queensland. Well, there were, but like they were on the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast. And for me, I'd had the last three years with Tatiana. It was a new sport. I didn't really want to just up and go and move to a whole new coach. It would be like relearning, you know, different coaches have different philosophies and everything like that. But also I rate Tatiana so highly. I just don't know if that would be an improvement moving elsewhere. And I, you know, I hope the other coaches don't see this, but I don't mean any, I don't, yeah, no disrespect. I just, it wouldn't have been the same. And I did try, I ended up driving to the Gold Coast every Saturday and I, I was fortunate enough to have uh, Howard, a pole vault coach on, uh, over there, kind of take me on board. That didn't last long though. But yeah, it was, I would definitely say the, the reason as to why I switched to long jump was because of Tatiana. And ultimately I probably wouldn't have got into Gary's squad if it wasn't for her either. Cause she, you know, she put in a good word for me. So for people out there listening that you watch long jump on the TV and it looks like people just run down and just jump yeah. into a, into a sand pit. Right? Yeah. But tell us about the, the training, the dedication and the, the mental side of doing that? Because it looks so simple when, when you're um, watching on TV, but obviously there's way more to it to be able to jump as far as you do. Oh, behind the scenes, it's it, again, it's a very, like all track and field is, is technical. The sport, it, yeah, there's, there's a lot more than what you just see happening in a competition. You, like a good thing that my coach has told me is when you get to comp, you kind of just want to send it and run and go anyway. That's when, you know, you hope all your training pulls through in that moment. So, yeah, essentially it is kind of you're just running and jumping, but it's everything that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, then people don't see the, the the technical breakdown of the event. You know, we do short approaches, we do gym, we do specific sprint sessions, you know, to get our velocities up and get the right technique. We do plyometric-based work, so a lot of jumping and just so, you know, our bodies can tolerate and handle the the load that's it's about to be put under. So, yeah, it's, again, it, it, I don't want to be comparing it to like pole vault and other sports stuff like that because it, it's really hard. 
it's all it's all really technical. Well, there's a guy I when I was growing up, I don't know if you remember or know Carl Lewis, right? Carl Lewis was mm, an American. Yeah. Now he did the hundred meter, two hundred meter, he did the relays, yeah, but then freak. he also did the long jump and was quite successful as well in the long jump. I mean, do, do, do they do that these days, or you specifically just do the event you want to do? Look. Lucky you brought up that name because that's probably one of the only names I know <laughs> from back then. Him and Mike Powell. Yeah, yeah. Look, to be a long jumper, you it's idea. It's the long jump. You can jump with not being quick. You can. There's power based jumpers and there's speed based jumpers, and then there might be a couple in between. Um, but ideally, you you want to be running in as fast as you can without losing speed at takeoff. So most of the elite long jumpers these days are compared like. I wouldn't say they're competitive with the sprinters like Carl Lewis was back in the day because that man was – he was winning gold and stuff like that and running like sub-10 hundreds. Like that's that's ridiculous. That's That was unheard of. And then going and, you know, coming second or winning long jump as well, that doesn't really happen that much. But you do get the occasional athlete who, you know, is running low 10s or maybe occasionally breaking the 10 barrier in the 100 metres. For example, I think there's a Jamaican at the moment TJ Gale, he's got a pretty good long jump PB of like around 8.30, 8.40, something like that. And I think he's 100 times like 10, 10 or 10, around 10, 10 to 10, 20. Like that's quick. Yeah, it's, you, you do need a bit of speed, but it's not common to see that, that, that that's freak of nature type stuff. Well, you, you are currently in Sydney. You did just do an, an event out at Homebush and won the long jump. Yep. So, congratulations. Thank you. But yeah, Sydney mate, Track Classic. Tell us, tell us about that. How how was that? Was that your first win you've ever had at that level? Oh, at that level. Oh, yeah, at that level, hundred percent. That was my first Track Classic win. So obviously, like I was stoked, and I opened up the comp with my equal PB. You know, seven meters eighty-eight. That yeah, that that was. I honestly thought I was on for something bigger, and I'm quite disappointed that I didn't go bigger and I didn't get a PB. But we take the win and, you know, we move on. I've got another competition in two weeks' time and then another one following that in a week. So, yeah, I'm always going to be very happy. But as I – and I think most track and field athletes or just any athlete in general can understand you always want more. And, like, in this sport, it's very easy to get footage, see it, analyse it, see what you've done wrong and be like, oh, I should have done that, I should have done this. And then it's, it's big, like, what ifs essentially so I I think that's inexperienced for me I got to learn to to not do that so much not not think about oh what if I had done this and take it into the next comp think about it then correct it and then hopefully the right result comes or the the result that I want comes but again I can't complain like an equal equal pb I haven't jumped any further than that in my life Apart from when I was in Melbourne two weeks ago, but that was an illegal jump, so it didn't count. It was windy. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what's the? I mean, obviously, you, you, you're going to do the nationals that yeah. they're coming up soon. Mm-hmm. What, what's the qualifying? I mean, you got what well, we've got the Olympics next year. Is yeah. that a goal? Twenty twenty four. Get to that. Yeah. So, obviously, this year we've got you. You have your world championships every year, and then obviously every four years you've got the Olympics. So, my goal at the moment is to do everything I can to get put myself in the best position to, you know, make the top 36 in the world so that I'm in that quota for the world championships. 
And then you have a whole another domestic season again here in Australia next year. And then see, yeah, see where we sit. If, you know, if I need to go overseas or whatever, try and do that. But yeah, I'm not really thinking about, it's always in the back of my head, the Olympics, because it is coming up. But I've got goals that I want to achieve first and I need to achieve them if I even want to think about making a, an Australian team to go to the, the Olympics. And you said you're, you're what? What's your, your PB now? Seven eight eight? Is that yeah? Seven seven yeah seven eight eight. And then I've got a windy PB of seven nine three. And for those who don't know, basically we're allocated a two point allowance for wind. And so if you have a wind that a, a tailwind that is that's plus two point uh, it's it's ruled as an illegal jump outside of the comp they're like the comp it still stands you will still win the comp if it's the biggest jump but it just you can't qualify for other events like world champs or the olympics based off that jump if it's an illegal one so yeah my my illegal pb is 793 and what's what's the to, to make the olympic team what what's the qualifying distance uh, there isn't really a distance to make it's it's down it's up to discretion uh of the selectors of, on the i don't even know what it's called this is my inexperience coming in but there's a there's a team or the, there's a committee and they the pick, olympics a selection the selection yeah, team, yeah 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 i think it's the oh the olympic committee some yeah oce or something anyway yeah. i can't remember but basically I need to finish in the top three jumpers in Australia if I even want to be looked at because they take you can only have up to three. So first things first, my goal is I need to push myself up into that top three. And then after that, I need to get my world ranking into a position where I'm within that 36 quota because they only take 36 to world championships. They'll probably only take 36 to the Olympics as well. So they're the two big things. And, you know, I, I do that by performing well throughout the season here in Australia or by going over to Europe and then doing, you know, the same thing, you know, it, and it just means that I have to perform better than, for example, some of my uh, squad mates because two of, two of the people I train with right now are sitting within the top three. <laughs> and they're quite. Well, that's, good, a, so. that's a good. That's a good and a bad thing, I suppose, because one, it pushes you because you know where your competition's at on a regular week to week basis. But then yeah. on the other side, yeah, it, it's still uh, pressure every time you go to the training paddock. Exactly. Yeah, and look, I don't even look at it like that because I feel like our group is so together. We're, we're con- like I. They they help me so much being very new to the sport as well. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't even be here in the position I am without a lot of the, the guys' support. But, yeah, you're right. Like, it is good to keep an eye on them, but at the same time, you, you just I don't think you can you – ha- you can't be worrying about that stuff. You just need to be worrying about what you're doing. Uh, and, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I also take in as much knowledge and information from those guys because they've been in the sport a lot longer than I have. One in particular, Henry Frayne, he's nuts. He was actually a former triple jumper who switched to long jump. Uh, I think he's like three-time Olympian. And, yeah, he's helped me out a lot in the last two years, whether it's just, you know, jumping cues in general or nursing injuries and rehab and stuff like that because he's gone through that a lot himself. And, you know, he's getting a little bit older these days, but he's still going strong. He's still, yeah, still kicking it. 
Now, you did mention going to Europe. Your, your plan is to go to Europe. And obviously, yep. athletics, there's not a lot of money in, in athletics come, you know, uh, no. to come through. You've got to find money from somewhere. Now, you've got to go fund me page. So tell us a bit about that. To give myself the best chance to qualify for world champs this year, I think I'm unless I do something insane in the next two comps that I have here in Australia, I'm probably going to need to go overseas and do a few more comps at some higher ranked meets um, just because the bonus points over there are a lot better. We only get so many meets here that give us bonus points, uh, like good bonus points, and that goes a long way with my overall world rank. So, yeah, it's it's tough for me because I, I'm only working casually at the moment and, and training full-time as well. I know there's a lot of people out there that about like they they'll be you know working going to uni and training but for me i i yeah i've i've always had to do the casual work first and then train i I plan to study and everything like that too but there's no way that i would be able to you know get myself over and have a season in europe just because of how expensive it's going to cost so um yeah i'm lucky that my i've got a caring enough mum where she actually went out of her way and a bit behind my back and did a GoFundMe page, which at the time I was like, oh, because I, I hate asking for money and I hate doing that sort of thing. I was a bit hesitant with it all. But, no, it's it's proven to to be, you know, a good move on her half and, you know, I, I shared it around as well. And I've actually – it's been well-received, I should just say. Well, I was going to say, uh, your mum, how, how much has she supported you and oh. – yeah, throughout your life and, and, and to get you to where you are now. Oh, I, I actually can't even, yeah, I, I can't even describe exactly how much it is because, you know, I've, she's been a single parent for, yeah, for quite a while. And, you know, obviously when dad was, um, was living with us, he was playing basketball. So a lot of the times it was her with just my sister and myself. And then, yeah, that's carried out throughout the years. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, she's she's crazy woman. <laughs> uh, I love her. She's, yeah, done so much for me. And she sacrifices so lot. Uh, she's sacrificed a lot as well. So, yeah. Now, everyone goes through ups and downs and tough times. And, and as you said, you would have gone through some tough times with the injuries. Mm. Is there times where you go, look, I, I might have to stop this or you're just so passionate that you want to, keep achieving the goals for me personally not yet it hasn't had it, that I haven't had that thought just because I think I am still really new to the whole athletics world um so everything that I'm you know everything that's happening happening to me now is happening for the first time and the passion for like and the drive that I have to just keep going I think is it pushes past all that doubt of all, you know, if I get injured, oh, I'm never going to come back from this, blah, 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 whatever it is that some some other athletes might think. You know, I've had two, no, three hammy tears, two of them being in the first two seasons I did of long jump and one was horrific. Like I didn't even jump last year because it was a grade 3C. Uh, so, yeah, like that, it, not for a moment did I think, oh, I'm not, I'm going to stop or this is going to set me back. I just, you know, head down, get back to the rehab and you move on. And that's probably a good message for everybody, you know, younger people listening to the podcast that 
don't give up. A lot of people tend to give up, mm. I notice these days, pretty easy and don't yeah. persevere. And to be a, an elite athlete or, or good at whatever you want to do in, in life, there's a lot of hard work that goes behind it. Yeah, no, 100%. And like at the end of the day, there's millions of other people in the exact same boat as you. So it's, it's either you can cry and sulk about it or you can just get back to doing what you do and, you know, come back stronger than ever because you know for sure that there's going to be somebody else who's doing that and they're probably working harder too. So, yeah, you just have to have that mentality and stick with it. And with athletics and like any elite sport, I mean, a percentage of you, you have to be selfish because you've got to be so dedicated to what you want to do to get to your goals. But what do you do away from athletics to relax? Because it'd be so... That would be so intense all the time, week in, week out. Yeah, see, I'm going to be like, there might sound, there might be some athletes out there like from track and field that might think this is a bit cringe, but I haven't really yet, like I, I'm not bored of it and I, I don't really need to find that outlet, you know, to kind of get away from the sport. I do obviously, like I work casually, like I said, I um I do before and after school care at Osh. So, you know, if anything, that's more intense than the training because kids are crazy. But besides that, I just, you know, when I have days off, I just chill out. You know, I've got a good core group of friends that, you know, back me. I back them. Uh, I've got good family. So, you know, everybody, I, I don't really need much. It doesn't take much for me. Maybe like honestly, if, it's, if we're talking about like hobbies or something like that, I'm a big gamer and I'm a big movie and TV series binger so it's probably the really the only thing for me mate what um look just everyone should probably get behind you and see how passionate you are about athletics you are coming along very well and jump on board to the gofundme page and let's try and get you over to uh europe and to the world championships and and, and see what you can do there yeah that'd be awesome much appreciated as well well Jalen, mate i'm sure uh You'll be successful uh, in the future. I'm hopefully I can uh, come along to the, the next Olympic Games, mate. I'll uh, actually come along if you're in it. And hey, come along. It'll be good too because uh, <laughs> the next one is, yeah, Paris. Good place to be. Well, I might even um, – I haven't had the honeymoon yet with Karen. so I was going to say, I'm, that's maybe, perfect. Maybe that I can tie it all this together. <laughs> <laughs> two, two birds with one stone, mate. Oh, yeah. She always blows up that I'm – Everywhere we go is because I've got to go to a paddling event and then uh, we say, oh, we'll go for a holiday as well after it. So I can now, I'll, I'll be able to use you as an excuse. So hey, look, that's going to be, that's gonna be my, uh, <laughs> my key motivator right there. Get to the Olympics just so Hopper can take Karen. Uh... I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure she wouldn't miss it anyway, mate. And so we'd definitely be going. Yeah, for All sure. Right, Joe, thanks, good. mate, for, uh, for, for popping into the beach shack. And uh, now... At the end of the segment, I'm going to throw some questions at you so you can answer them however you want Okay. and we'll rip in. What are the best and worst purchases you've ever made? Yeah. Oh, best and worst. Oh, well, I, best has got to be my car. When I bought my, yeah, when I bought my car, you know, having that freedom, that was great. Ultimately, until Daniela, my sister, then decided to get her peas and she was taking it everywhere. <laughs> or I was taking her everywhere when she didn't actually. That was way worse. Uh, and then worst, worst purchase. I don't really know if I 
I'm pretty like if I see something and I know I want it, I'll just buy it. And it's not really like I don't really have many regrets with it. I don't. I on, I seriously don't think I have a worse purchase. I don't know. Maybe maybe these these bad boys. <laughs> oh, the old Crocs. Crocs. Yeah, yeah, the Crocs. The Crocs are making a comeback. I, the funny thing I was a. Uh, had a sponsor of Crocs years and years ago when they first came out. Oh, really? And, uh, they took us down swimming. And then uh, I'll I, I tell you what, they haven't changed in style. But I've noticed now a lot of high-profile people and, and even the models in that yeah. industry are they're, now they're, wearing Crocs. So it's a, blown it's a up trend. in like the last two years for sure. I literally oh. only just got these. From, yeah. yeah. But I'm going to tell you, though, they are, they are the most, not probably the most good-looking things, but... No. They are so comfortable to wear. Oh, like I haven't taken them off my feet since I got them. I only got them last week. And, I, yeah, I brought them obviously to the comp with me and I've been walking around everywhere in them since. Mate, I'm about to – I'm going to go get a pair, but Karen won't probably – she'll probably throw them out. So no. but, uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. You, you, you can convince her to have some Crocs in the house. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> Mate, uh, the best thing about Brisbane – might take you a while to think about this one. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, if we want to compare it to Sydney, I was just saying this to Karen before, the fact that it's actually easy to get around, you know, driving in my car. So, yeah, I'd probably just say that because being here in Sydney, traffic is – I probably shouldn't swear on here, but, yeah, it's a pain in the butt. So, so, say whatever you want, mate. It's all good. Yeah, it's, it's a bitch. <laughs> it, it's a bitch. It's a real bitch here. So, yeah, I'll probably just say that. What what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? I could probably go two ways. Obviously, I'm proud of the accomplishments that I've had in my long jump career so far. Obviously, taking out my first track classic uh, yesterday would be up there. And then Melbourne, you know, the two weeks before that. But also just my mum, I guess, and how she's dealt with everything over the years and, you know, essentially raised two kids on her own. What's, I guess that's something I can be proud of, yeah. Yes, mate. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mum's a, a major part. Uh, what's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Well, I don't read much, so... Yeah, neither do I. Interesting. I did see that, what was it, the supercars pile-up? Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was up in Newcastle. Or yesterday, yeah. That was pro- that was good. Yeah, I'm not big on the whole that side of it. I'm I like F1, but I don't really watch the supercar stuff. But yeah, that was that was crazy. But what song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? I know what one I have to. If I put it on, I got to sing along to it, and that's Logic Five AM. I don't really listen to the radio, so like it's nothing's not coming on unless I'm putting it on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Logic for sure, or just anything by Logic. Logic's my guy. All good. Well, Jalen, mate, it's been great having you in the beach shack and having a chat and uh, good luck in the future. Thank uh, you. Hopefully uh, it all goes well, mate, and I'll be following you. And everybody out there, jump on the uh, onto the GoFundMe page and uh, let's see if we can get into Europe. And uh, any sponsors as well? Let's get some sponsors on board. That will be helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, thanks, Hopper. I appreciate it. Now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack, we've got Chase, who has uh, been a lifeguard with us for about four years. Hello, Chase. Yeah, hello. Thanks for having me again. 
Good, mate. Now, I wanted to go into a bit of family history because the Heartache and Name has been synonymous around Bondi for a long time, a lot of generations there. And so, mate, tell us a bit about those generations. Yeah, look, the uh, the Heartache and Name is definitely one that sat around Bondi for a long time. Myself, I, uh, I'm about fourth generation Heartache that's come through Bondi. Uh, it's a pretty funny one, like growing up, um, look heaps like my, my pop and my dad. So everywhere I am, I just get random people I've never seen in my life come up to me and go, are you a heartacher? And I go, yeah, yeah. I go, they go, oh my God, you look so much like your pop. I know Herbie from 60 years ago down here. and blah, blah, blah. So I um I get heaps of that, obviously hanging around Bondi myself now and, and working down there. But um, yeah, like I said, pop pop grew up down at Bondi. He's, he's lived there his whole life. He's uh. He's done a lot in the community from when he was younger. He, he's, he's a life member now at the Bondi Diggers Club, which is a big thing and an honour for him. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if you were a part of it, but he also started the Brat Club down at Bondi a long time ago. Yeah, I remember starting there as a young guy. We were doing, um, yeah, there's a lot of runs, a lot of uh, triathlons. and They ran yeah. a monthly biathlon. He used to go off the, the boat ramp and swim out to the middle of the bay around a can and back then run all the way up the road to Dover Heights and, and back. So, yeah, he was running uh, a lot of the Brat Club stuff back then. Yeah, the, the Bondi Racing and Triathlon Club. That's obviously where you guys have a lot of connection from. You've grown up in Bondi for a long time. So, you know, was my pop just as good as I would, if not better, <laughs> from the good old days back knocking around Bondi. <laughs> the good old days, mate. And uh, I'm sure yeah. he's got some stories. Has he told you any uh, stories Back of his day, he probably uh, there's probably some we can't repeat, but there'd be a few there yeah. we can. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely got a couple that uh, that I wouldn't be able to share, but he um, <laughs> one, one I probably would that's pretty relevant to lifeguarding as well is he used to tell me back in the day the beach inspectors back in the day uh, used to monitor surfing down at Bondi and you used to have to have your boards registered and and make sure they're registered in your area. So you used to have to pay to have your surfboard. Uh, to be able to surf in that area, in particular Bondi, they didn't let anyone surf on the north side of Bondi. So south of Bondi was surfers and uh, the north of Bondi was for swimming. So currently we got similar rules with a foam surfboard only at North Bondi now and and fiberglass at south. But back in the day it was different. And if you floated into the middle of the beach and floated past into the North Bondi and the beach inspector saw you, when you come in, he would uh, chase you up the beach, get your boards, snap your fins out, snap them in half, would never give them back. So they were um, strong rules back in the day. No matter if he got smashed and got pulled all the way inside, drifted all the way down, he'd always tell us those stories of, of how um, lucky we are to be able to surf the rest of the beach and, and how they weren't allowed to do much. But I'm sure he's uh, got plenty of plenty of stories where he was running away from them and they were chasing him up the streets. But there was one in particular, uh, they they we just like, we've had enough. North Bondi was pumping. There was waves in the corner and everyone just went out. There was 10, 15 guys out, maybe more, and they all surfing all day. And, and they went up and sat at the grassy knoll that's currently there on the hill at North Bondi. And and the North Bondi Surf Club, who were a part of all these rules, and, and the police come down in a massive raid to try steal all the all the guys' boards who were surfing in that north corner. And the, the story was is... All the guys on boards run out, jumped in the water. 15 of them paddled up the boat ramp, run, hid in the apartments, run through the golf club. 10 of them paddled around Ben Buckler, ran around Mermaid Rock, hid, hid behind the rocks and anything they could do to, 
to get away from the inspectors and the police to, to not get their boards taken just for surfing at North Bondi. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, the stories back then when, you know, we're called beach inspectors. When I started, I was uh, called a beach inspector and you used to get this inspector badge, get the sew onto your, uh, onto your shorts and onto your shirt. And yeah. it was about mid-90s, I think we changed. I went to, uh, we all became lifeguards from there. Yeah. So the beach inspector... Uh, change, but yeah, it was a it was a funny era back then, and uh, I remember way back when the council passed that. That there was a lot of push from board riders, like way before my time, and um, to get because boards were bought banned all across the beach, and they pushed to get the the hard boards allowed down the south end. So that's to this day, it still works very similar. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure that interchange was happening back when you were younger, and. We're lucky now that we get to do what we do. Yeah, and it was a lot tougher, as uh, Herbie <laughs> would know, that, uh, you know, they didn't cop much. The young blokes, the, the, the beach inspectors back then used to give you a good clip around the head and around the ears yeah. and, uh, and yeah, break your boards and everything else they had to do to say you wouldn't go they, out there. Yeah, they definitely sounded like police back then more than a lifeguard. So I'm glad that yeah, at some more... point there it changed to a lifeguard rather than being a beach inspector. Yeah, it was a good change. It was more um, worried about the water, whereas we were, used to have to stop people riding bikes on the promenade, skateboards on the promenade, and then uh, yeah. you know, dogs. And So you're more a, a, an inspector than, than trying to uh, – And the, on top of that, though, you're worried about people in the water trying to rescue them. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. It took, it, it Same as now. Big, dis- big distraction. But, yeah, no, the arrangements have come in. It's, it's helped a lot for us to just concentrate on the water. Yeah, definitely. We don't have to go around picking up the rubbish on the back of the path now, but <laughs> we obviously we obviously still have to do the sand because those rangers don't want to walk down there. Yeah, that's it. All right, Chase, thanks for uh, coming to the beach shack, telling your story, and uh, I'll see you soon. Sweet, thanks, Hop. I'll see you around. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.